If you have your Bibles with you, would you open up to Colossians chapter 2? I am actually preaching out of 3 today. Keep me in prayer because I am going to preach on a chapter and a half of Scripture today. Follow along. I expect everybody to follow along and take notes. All right? Everybody here, there will be a test. You'll have to pass Brother Patty in the back, and he will ask you a test, him and Brother Verdi. All right. If we can open up to Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> and we're actually going to pick it up in verse 19. I will read to chapter 4, verse 1. I will tie it all together because Paul is holding on to uh, several thoughts. And it's those thoughts I want to capture and apply it today. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe there is a lot of life in looking at it as a whole, as of just breaking it down. I did preach out of chapter 2 that way, and I'm seeing chapter 3 the same way. I would like to do it again today, so please follow along with me. Starting in chapter 2, verse 19, Paul says this, And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows... Can you say with me, with a growth, that is from God. God. For with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, if you're still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that will perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are no value in stopping what? The indulgences of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. If you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, sectarian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has committed a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest what happened here? Something happened. Lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey your, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for giving us the mind of Christ. We thank you, God, that somehow, some way, we're hidden with your Son in you. We don't even know it, Father God, but by faith we apprehend these things, Father God. And by your Spirit, you illuminate these spiritual gifts you have given us, Father God. For no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive of the things you have in store for those who love you. But by the Spirit, you have made it known to us, God. And we thank you, Father God, that through Scripture, through truth, and through your Holy Spirit, and the illumination of this truth in our hearts and minds, Father God, we know our rich inheritance. We know the power of the resurrection. We know there is no condemnation. We know we've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know these things, Father God, and we are greatly thankful for them. Speak to our hearts and minds as we go through this chapter in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Excuse me, my eyes are giving me a little trouble up here. We now come to a transition in the letter as we've been speaking on it for the last two months. We moved on from chapter 1 and 2, which is the high and exalted view of Christ and what he has done personally for believers in securing their salvation. We really find that in chapter 1 and sporadically peppered throughout chapter 2. Over against some rogue religious teaching that attempted attempted to put a stumbling block before this congregation in a form of religious do's and don'ts of worship regulations, food regulations, uh, mysticism, legalism, harsh treatment of the body. It was a religious system. It, It was at its heart an attack on Christ and his saving work as though it wasn't efficient, it wasn't enough. Uh, It was an attack on true saving faith as though faith in Christ is child's play. It would go something like this. How can just believing in someone change anything? Surely you have to do something to please God. Surely you have to try harder to please God. Just just faith in Jesus is child's play. It, It doesn't secure you anything in God's eyes. That was the spirit behind this false teacher. And we've been speaking on that for weeks now. Well, it's still going on now in this chapter. And that's why I want to fill in. Paul spent most of the two chapters showing the supremacy of Jesus. Showing just how thorough his person, 
And his work on the cross truly is in securing the salvation of a sinner. But now in chapter 3, he moves in a, a, different, uh, a different direction. Now he's going to show us how a true Christian lives a life now in the real world. Everything in the, in the first two chapters was ethereal. It was up in heaven. It was, it, was, it was understanding everything Christ has done and everything we are in Christ now. We're, we're in Christ. There's a trajectory now. Paul says we're not just in Christ, but we're hidden in Christ, in God. But now he's going to spell it out. How do, you, how do you live this out in the real world? This is a moral and ethical program starting in chapter 3 that naturally flows from true Christian conversion. Whereas the false teaching attempted to put down the sinful habits of the flesh by harsh treatment of the body, as we read in chapter 2 verse 19 when it says, But they are no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. The whole religious system that this man put out to try to get these people to please God and to, to stop the indulgences of the sinful flesh, Paul says, is really no value at all. It has the appearance of wisdom. It, it's man-made religion. It looks like it's going to work. It sounds good. Do a lot of things and be devoted to a lot of things. But at the end, at the end of the day, it changes what? It changes nothing. Let's, let's get real. Some of the worst sins are hidden behind religious clothing. It, it, nothing's changed. At all. I want to give you an illustration, a working illustration, that I will carry through throughout the whole teaching today. And it's, it's, it's something I'm a little familiar with, and I've used this before. Two friends who have grown up alike most of their life, maybe on the same block, so on and so forth. Same age, same temperament, went to the same school, ran with the same crowd, uh, ran into the same vices. They, they, they hung together, they ran hard together. And one moved to one side of the country, another friend moved to another side of the country, and they haven't seen each other in many years, but they have an, an epiphany. They have this conflict of conscience, and they don't know it. And one person goes back to his traditional religion because he needs to relieve himself of his, his tormented conscience. And he goes, and, he, and quickly he's changed. They, they change his appearance. He, he's got a new suit, and... He's got a shave, and he's got a new haircut, and he's doing a lot of religious activity. And he feels good about himself. I'm doing something. I'm, I'm changing. And on the outside, he looks like he's what? Changed. But on the inside, what? Same. And not dealing with the issues of sin. But on the other hand, you've got the other friend who's broken and downtrodden, and he stumbles across a community of believers. And in this community of believers, they don't care how long his hair is. They don't care how smelly he is. They don't care how broken he is, how dirty his fingernails are. They don't care what he looks like. They just say, keep coming. God loves you. And they witness to him about the love and forgiveness and mercy and grace of God. And he comes and he listens and he still looks the same a week later and a month later. And, and nothing seems to be happening. But he gave a confession of faith in Christ. He knows he needs to be forgiven. And he asks humbly for the grace of God and the mercy of God to come into his life. And, and he comes and, and they sing songs and they, they read passages and, and they meet each other's needs and they fellowship and they, they sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And all of a sudden there's this growth that comes from God on the inside. He looks the same on the outside, but what? He's changed 
on the inside. That's what's going on in our chapter and a half here. We have a religious system that Paul says at the end of the day, it looks wise. But it cannot stop what? Sin. The indulgences of the flesh. But over here, he's telling to the the Colossians, you've been hidden in Christ with God. It's secret. It's on the inside. Hidden actually means safe and secure in God. That you're safe and secure in God. That God is doing something for you and in you. That is what's taking place in our text as we read it. That's what's going on here. It is all experiential, spiritual regeneration and transformation of the heart that's taking place on the inside where the prying eyes of humanity cannot see what's taking place in a born-again believer's heart. They cannot see it. It's hidden. It's in a secret place. This is something only a true, genuine Christian could ever understand. This is Christian conversion expressed in relational imagery. Verse 1 says, if then you have been raised with Christ, relational, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. What he's saying, don't try to please God through religious do's and don'ts. Do not taste. Do not touch. No more of that. Those are the elemental spirits of the world. It's, it's, It's baby food. It's not for the mature. Raised with Christ speaks of our spiritual resurrections. It's the inner experience with Jesus that all true believers have. It's an experience. Something has happened. Sometimes you know the time and the date of that experience. Sometimes it's evolutionary. It's, you grow up in the church. You grow up believing in Jesus. And you know it's real. And it, it slowly, slowly starts to take shape. But other times it's revolutionary. And you come in broken, downtrodden, lonely. And you cry out for the help of Christ. And all of a sudden your eyes are opening like the blind man. And, and John 9, once I was blind... And now I see. But nevertheless, it is an experience. It is a new spiritual heart with new religious affections for God. All of a sudden, the grass is greener, the sun is brighter, the the sky is bluer. You have a new heart for God. You have a new heart for people. God has forgiven you once and for all. You know it, and it's changing your life. You know he's close to you. You know he he loves you. He has forgiven you. You desire to please God now. And you're enjoying God. There's something about this experience that you enjoy God. It's not about working for God in a religious system of do's and don'ts. Not really sure if you're really forgiven. Not really sure if you're really going to go to heaven. Not really sure if Jesus Christ is truly alive and the grave is empty. But you go through the system because you think there's a wisdom to it. It has eye appeal, but it does nothing to change the inner person. Something has happened to this church. Something has happened to the true believer. 
but it's being expressed on the outside, as our illustration showed. Christ your friend, Christ your savior, who always lived, is seated at the right hand of God, now in power, he says. Basically, because Christ is your savior, because you're hidden in Christ and God, and because Christ is seated at the right hand of God, that's the, that's the hand of power. You can ask Christ for anything. And he can give it to you. You need forgiveness, you have it. You need moral strength, you have it. You need joy, he'll give it to you. You need hope, he has it in abundance. You need a new life, he is your new life. There is nothing that Christ who sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, cannot give him who seeks, acts, and knocks. It will be abundantly supplied. The book of Hebrews says it a little differently. He can save from the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Because he's always alive. He's always alive. Anything needed to be pleasing to God as a son and a daughter, whether it's self-control, joy, gentleness, compassion, understanding, it's found in Christ. And Paul says, seek. Seek the things that are above. What is this imagery? Seek the things that are above. Well, clearly put, it's God's will. It's God's will. It's clearly expressed throughout all the scripture. But it's even more clearly expressed in this chapter. In the rest of this book. And we'll get into that. He says, set your minds on things that are above in verse 2. Not on things of the earth. Now that a God has captured your soul, Paul is saying, set your minds in an ambition to please God. Understand something. No one, we cannot really seek after that which your mind is not set on. You cannot really seek after that which your mind is not set on. The rational person first sets their mind on something that they deem valuable. Isn't that true? You set your mind on that which is what? Valuable to you. Is it a relationship? You set your mind on it. Is it, is it material things? You set your mind on it. Is it education, success, health? You set your mind on it. That which is valuable, that which is profitable then we do all we do to obtain, seek. That's the means to the end. The Christian in heart and mind who loves God above all else naturally gravitates towards pleasing God. In our text tonight, it's not hard to know what this is. It's it's all moral. Listen to verse 5. The things above are contrasted with the things below on earth. Listen, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul, the apostle who represents God, is saying this, God is not into 
behavioral modification like that other guy's preaching. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. That's behavioral modification. But God desires transformation. And it's found in the expression, set your mind and your heart on what pleases God. Set your affections, now that you're alive to God and Christ, on God. Set your heart, set your affections on God himself. God knows, Jesus taught it, Paul is taught, teaching it, that where a man's treasure is, guess what? So is his heart. A man will chase that which he values. You will know them, he says, by their fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. You just have to hang around and say, what do you love? That's where your heart is. That's where it is. You love God, that's where your heart is. If your heart is with God, you will seek your mind. You will set your mind on where? Things above. We pursue the things we value and love. And there was a time, like this church, we valued all the vices of the flesh. All the sins of the flesh. But we're dead to that now, amen. A Christian is a person who died with Christ to the moral filth and greed of this world system. That's what verse 5 speaks about. And whose heart and mind have a new value system now. God is their great ambition. Pleasing Him is their great joy. Where verse 5 speaks about certain vices of life below on earth, verses 8 and 9 speak about the interpersonal relationships and the sins of interpersonal relationship. Listen. But now you must put them all away. What, Paul? Anger with each other, wrath towards each other, malice towards each other, slander of one another, and obscene talk to one another from your mouth. He goes on to say, do not lie to what? One another. Seeing that you have put off the old man with its practices. These are the sins of interpersonal relationship. The whole text, the whole chapter is about relation. A person's relationship with God through Christ will determine their relationship with people and the world system. Without Christ, I love what the world loves. Without Christ, I chase what the world chases. Without the Lord, I want materialism. I want things and I want plenty of goodies. But with Christ, we die to the empty, vain, materialistic, greed, lustful hurts and pains of this world system. We're dead to it. In other words, a real, living, personal relationship with Christ, which anybody can say, because talk is cheap, but a genuine will generally affect how a person conducts all their affairs on earth, both personal and interpersonal. That's what Paul's talking about here. Personal being the moral responsibility. Interpersonal is relational, not to speak to each other in slander and malice and gossip. 
Those are the sins of relationship. On the other hand, when someone has, a truly, has truly died with Christ to this world value system and the vices of the flesh and greed and lust and has been raised with Christ to a new life, he's raised to new values. God's will and God's nature and God's plan and God's good pleasure is now theirs. They're living sacrifices. And as time goes on, they will begin to exemplify what verses 12 to 14 say. Listen to what Paul says. Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility and meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you almost, you, so you almost must forgive one another. And above all these, put on love, he says, which binds everything and everyone together in perfect harmony. Again, we see the relational dynamic at work here. Close relationship with God, raised with Christ, will always affect our relationships on the earth. Listen to verses 18 to 4.1. It's relational, remember. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey everything. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality, and masters treat your bond service servants justly and fairly knowing that you too have a master in heaven if we go back to our illustration and the man who started to do all these uh, religious prohibitions do not handle do not taste do not touch new haircut new suit new religious service making sure he's at church two three four days a week he's doing everything but he's going home and his wife's saying you're a hypocrite you're still angry at the children you're still beating the servants you're still angry with me nothing has changed on the outside you got everybody fooled but on the inside i can see right through you you have not changed one bit but on the other hand the other wife says honey Something's happening to you. I don't know what you're doing. You read your Bible. You listen to your praise and worship. I I, I don't understand, but you're kind to me. And you're kind to other people. You're cheating your children as special. You're not trying to cheat your boss anymore. You're not serving your boss with eye service and lip service. You got a spirit of excellence about you. You need a haircut. And you, you can get a new suit and you, maybe a little hygiene. But I, I see something going on on the inside. You're never talking to me about church. You're, you're talking to me about Jesus. You're talking to me about the Holy Spirit. Honey, 
I can see that you're being transformed from the inside out. That's what's going on in our text. Don't get caught up in do's and don'ts. That is no power over the indulgence of the flesh. You're hidden with Christ in God. Put on what Christ has already given you. Person A, put on a whole religious image with no Christ-like character. On the other other hand, person B, who truly died with Christ by faith, does not live by a religious code of do's and don'ts or a religious calendar on when to worship. But person B is hidden in this heart with Christ. He's safe and secure and forgiven in Christ from the world and from old sinful desires. They they seem faint. They've grown weaker and weaker. Listen to the New Living Translation on verse 10. He says, for you have in verse 4, you have died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Listen to the Message Bible. Your old life is dead now. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. I love it. He nails it. Invisible to spectators. If you remember illustration man A, to spectators, he was a religious golden boy. He was a religious superstar. He was doing everything right. But on the inside, he was still filled with dead men's bones. And over here, we have this person that looks like he's a mess from the outside. To the spectator, they see nothing. Not realizing he's being transformed from the inside out. And this new life he has, though it's not perfect, is being daily Nude and God-like loving character. Listen to verse 10. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You're not there, but you're being renewed on a daily basis. And you're living it out in relationship with other believers. Listen to verse 13. You're bearing with one another. You have forbearance. You're bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive one another. Living the Christian life with other believers is not always easy. We're still human. And we don't run when there's conflict between two believers. We work it out with the love of Christ. But understand something. It's always rewarding when you're living out this Christian relational dynamic. Listen to verse 14 and 15. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything. And I like to put everyone together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you will call the one body. And be thankful. Paul saying, be thankful what God has done for you. And this all flows from a person, person B, who heard the gospel one day and simply asked for God to forgive him and give him a new life. And by faith, he died with Christ in baptism. 
and was raised to a new life with Christ. In other words, he's raised to life as Christ would live it. And all this takes place in Christian fellowship. As our text teaches in two places, verse 16 and chapter 2 and, and, and chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And we compile this with chapter 2, verse 19 that says this. Not holding fast to the head, that's Jesus, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. It's a secret growth. It comes from God. It's not man-made. It's a given gift of the Holy Spirit. This is God growth. This is hard stuff into Christ-like image. All of a sudden, this, this God growth, this God dynamic, this love, joy, self-control, peace, humility, gentleness, compassion, happiness. This is what's happened to this man who has done nothing but pick up a Bible, be water baptized, confessed he needed Christ as his Lord and Savior and understand on the inside the hidden dynamic, there was something growing in him that comes only from God. Not from some religious system. All we do is we go to church on Sunday, we worship. We go to prayer on Thursday and we pray. We meet in our men's fellowship and we meet in our women's fellowship and we think nothing's happening. But if you look close enough, there is a growth that supernaturally happened from God himself. And it breaks this past his heart when other Christians don't have the time or the day to recognize that God is alive and active in another Christian's life. And we're indifferent to what God is doing in another man's life. Breaks my heart. I'm telling you now, if someone's born again, God is not passive. He is always actively doing something in someone's life. He's either producing a new life or he's He's, he's, he's leading someone to repentance or something, but God is always active in another believer's life. How can we not rejoice in that? How can we not want to be part of what God is doing in another person's life? Let me give you a secret, okay? God is doing nothing in the United Nations. He's doing nothing around the world. All that stuff is simple superficial stuff. God is at work in the church through the preaching of the gospel, changing hearts into Christ-like image. That is all he's concerned for. He knows nations going to rise up against nations. He knows people are going to rise up against people. He's already told us that the love of many are going to wax cold. He's already told us. He's not trying to bring America back to a new, a, a new revival of conservatism. He's concerned about the Christian church and only the Christian church. Understand it, hear it. You're not going to see him anywhere else. If you're looking for God, look to the church, not to politics. He's in the church. I see him on Thursday night when I see people praying and pouring out their heart to God. I see the kingdom of God. I see it on Sunday. And I see it on Monday nights. And I see it on the streets witnessing the people. That's where you see God. 
And of course, I'm not saying God's not concerned for humanity. Of course he is. But he said only one thing he's going to build. And that's his church. Nothing else. Nothing. Matter of fact, he says this. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But we have a sure foundation that the kingdom of God can never be shaken. Why do we put so much value in things that God's not even in? How can we not take stock in other people? How can we not? So what does a mind look like that seeks the things that are above? Two verses give us an outline. Verse 17 says this. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's what it looks like. In verse 23, he gives us another outline. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Let me close with this. The religious system that the man in chapter 2 was advocating could never in this life or the next please God. No matter how sincere he was, no matter how wise he sounded, no matter how wise it looked, it could neither save nor sanctify from the indulgences of the flesh. But what is impossible with man is not impossible with God. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is God's answer to man's dilemma. I pray that you seek him now and know the power of this hidden life in Christ with God. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the gospel message. I thank you for the gift of hearing with faith. That hearing with faith is what pleases you, God. That we please you when we hear the message of Christ dying for our sins. And that we believe in it, God. And we give our life to it. And we show the world we believe by our water baptism. That we willingly, voluntarily are water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we make a public confession that from now on I'm dead to the things of the world and I'm alive to God and Christ. And I will seek the things that are above, not on the things below. I'll seek the things that are eternal and not the things that are temporary. I'll seek the things that fulfill and not the things that are empty and vain and deceitful. We'll seek you, God. And I thank you for this gospel message that saved me 25 years ago, God, and still transforming me on the inside. I thank you, O God, that I know what I know that I know that my sins are forgiven, that they're blotted out from your sight, Father God, that I'm a new creation in Christ, being transformed by one gospel message and one verse of scripture, one prayer meeting, one repentance, one joyful song at a time. You're doing a work of grace on the inside, Lord God. I thank you, O oh God, that when I look, my head spins around when I say, how in the world are we changed? And the only answer I have is the growth comes 
from God. God, I pray that we honor you as living sacrifices in Jesus' name.